Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. All right, we are back in full effect for Detroit is Different in the studios with somebody that definitely talks chopping business with me often and uh she is a friend in arms of one of our best podcasts here on the network the piper carter podcast and when we're talking piper carter if you do any business and you're seeing piper around you're also talking nina Payne. nina Payne, how are you today what up though what up though yes yes i'm wonderful all right spry on a saturday oh no this is a sunday it's a sunday First day of March. The day the Lord has made. Exactly. You were like singing, like I said. You got a little <laughs> bit of front choir in you. I'm like, back, back choir. choir corner. That's right. They back like, choir corner. Back right there. there. <laughs> Soprano alto. Exactly. It's like, ah, just hit, hit with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Don't ask me to do a solo. <laughs> yes. No solos. No solos over here. Um, so we, we're going to start this Detroit is different how we usually start it. Your family in Detroit. Uh, what led your family to come to Detroit? You know, we were um, Eastsiders. I was okay. born and raised on the east side of Detroit, Warner Connor Fairview. What up, though? And um, my dad had an opportunity chasing the American dream and got an opportunity to move, and he chose Cincinnati. And mm. so when I was 11, going on 12 years old, we uprooted everything that we knew and moved to an all-white neighborhood in the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. And we were the first black family to do that. Mm. Um, that comes with its own... Um, range of challenges okay five years later um after being called the n-word and fighting uh for your life almost every day uh, we came home from school one day my mom had her bags packed in the car running mm. and uh, she said get in we're going home and i said home mm. and she said yeah we're going back to detroit wow and so Okay, yeah. so you have the opposite Charlie Beckham story and also my dad's story <laughs> as my Cincinnati. dad is from Cincinnati, South yep. Avondale. I got family down. My dad's driving back from Cincinnati right now. Oh, wow. With my granny and uh, anybody that knows, like I say, it's like Cincinnati is the South as far as I'm concerned. It, it is the South, folks. baby. It's the South. My mom's family is from Cincinnati. Okay. So that was one of the reasons why we chose Cincinnati, although we were a good 45 minutes from them because they lived downtown and we mm. lived out in, out in the, the bur burbs, like, yes, exactly. like rural burbs area. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we, we, yeah, that's a Cincinnati story. That's yeah. a whole other segment. If we want to talk about racism and, you know, first blacks, it is Black History Month. Oh, dang, we a day yeah. off. I mean, so. <laughs> it's, uh, but even even with it, like uh, the, the racial tensions that existed uh, that took the jazz festival away. Yeah. Classic jazz festival in Cincinnati. My grandma yeah. tells me about the first jazz festival. She saw Coltrane. She saw Miles Davis and Nina Simone all yeah. just sitting on the lawn for free. And what pulled that away that's grown to one of the biggest cultural events, I'd say, outside of New Orleans mm. in the yeah, nation, it was, maybe it was, internationally. It was uh, yeah. And it was taken away for some of the racial tensions that have always existed. Uh, people know of the classic Cincinnati Reds owner Marge shot. Right. But if you understand the culture of Cincinnati, you understand kind of what's going on. My dad's a UC grad, uh, a Bearcat. <laughs> so definitely have ties in Cincinnati with some of those country folks that, you know. Did you live in Cincinnati as well? Nah, but okay. visit it enough to know. Yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 a different form of 
of racial divide in a city like that versus a city like Detroit with oh, so yeah. much blackness. Yeah. So your family was already here. Where did your family come from? If your fa- if your mom's family is in Cincinnati, your dad's family, where are they from? Originally from Arkansas. Arkansas. So that's yeah. like, okay, definitely that makes sense. So they're further west. Oh, yeah. And this kind of goes back to my family. My dad was born in Little Rock. So oh, we're, at at Ar- okay. we're at in Arkansas. Uh, I can't remember. You don't even know. I don't know. And I'll tell you why I don't know. Um, well, I'll tell you why I'm going to tell you I don't know, Mm -hmm. is the story of my dad's family is my mom, I mean, his mom's side of the family came from the other side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is um, there was, you know, land ownership and business ownership and some other things happening. And when she met my grandfather, Mm -hmm. um, he was from the other side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. And basically the story goes that if you marry him, we will disown you. And if you Mm. take his name, wow. Um, and love prevailed. Mm. And, um, after some threats, um, after they got married, they had to move and they came up here and there were some things that happened that we can't all talk about because, you know, we all got the stories, but they came up here. And so like the history of it, when we started to try to contact them and, and to try to regain relationship, they want nothing to do with even, even till, even till today, even till today. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I guess, um, the affluent, I'm guessing very affluent, affluent, very affluent, uh, and a lot of the affluent South, I don't know if people have ever read this book, Our Kind of People goes into mm. that, uh, that talks about passing or mm. many, the um, colorism that exists yeah. more oftentimes highlighted in Latino culture, but definitely in black culture too. Definitely so like a lot culture. of black people were passing for white. Absolutely. And were able to manipulate and move around in certain societies. So and we, like, we definitely had that in, on, just from pictures that we know. And the mm-hmm. th- stories my grandmother used to tell us when, we, when she was around um, that passed down to my dad and the things that he told us. And, and, and us trying to take a trip down there, you mm-hmm. know, um, a couple of times throughout my childhood. And mm-hmm. dad trying to reconnect with his family and, and basically them shutting the door in his face. And so um, they and the story goes they always thought that people wanted something from them as opposed to just mm-hmm. knowing who they who yeah. their family was you know and so we have a lot of passers mm-hmm. um the story goes on my grandmother's side of the family mm-hmm. and yeah to this day like uh, a lot of people say like i guess one of the most famous infamous things is babe ruth like babe ruth was black you know, a lot <laughs> of people say that it's mm-hmm. like you look at him and then you look at certain pictures and it's like is he black like, mm-hmm. But one of those things, and this is part of the tapestry of the black story. So you went to Cincinnati for a while, then Mm -hmm. made your way back to Detroit. So when you came back to Detroit, what was the feel? What were you into? Um, When I came back to Detroit, I was didn't know my blackness. We Mm -hmm. were in Cincinnati during puberty years. And so um, as much as my mom tried to get us to read Essence and Ebony and watch show black shows on TV, we were hanging out with all white girls and uh, me and my sister. And so we were into what they were into, which is makeup and and uh, boys and oh, my God. And so like the language <laughs> was different. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. And we, the interesting thing, we first got down there, it was the challenge of who am I around all of these people, you know, fighting every day on the street and on the east side of Detroit. I, I found myself in the same place, just fighting for different reasons. And then realizing that people were befriending us because we were black and they could get something from us. Like all of that stuff didn't even come to pass until we were 
older and we had to like process it all. But I had mm. a I had white girlfriends that I had one up the street who wanted to befriend me because her dad was a hell's angel and she was being mm. rebellious. Mm. I had another girlfriend who wanted to meet black guys and so she befriended me. I had one girl, Chris Hitz, who um, thought I was a charity case and would give me money mm. every day. And coming from Eastside Detroit, I, I welcomed all of that. And mm. so so every day I came to school, she had something new for me, some new clothes, a new uh, uh, anything. She mm. Anything I wanted, she she would give me. And so I hustled her for mm. um, some years, just okay. the nature of the beast of, of knowing how to do that growing up on Eastside wow. Detroit. And so, but, but after some years of being down there, we were conditioned into... You assimilated into... Yeah, man, we assimilated. So when we yeah. come, come back to Detroit to visit, you know... And hang out with our cousins, you know, they would be like, say something, say something. And just, you know, mm-hmm. clowned us constantly because our language is different. Mm-hmm. You know, so we had, we had to, that transition of coming back was difficult, mm. y- you know. And did, and you said your mom was like, yeah, it's time to go. Yeah. So she must have had a rough time just adjusting to the culture there as yeah, well. Yeah, we all did. She worked in the banking industry. And mm. so um, she managed one of the, the banks up the street and she would have difficulty with clients every single day. Mm. You know, they didn't want her handling their money. They didn't want to have any conversations with her. If, if, if a, um, a situation got elevated to her, they didn't want to talk to her. They didn't want to talk wow. to the president of the company. So she was dealing with racism in that way. We were dealing with racism at the school systems and you know the teachers call us the n-word all sorts of stuff my brother was dealing with he was the first black person to graduate from their high schools he was in the paper and so the the white girls down there at that time wanted a a taste of him Mm. and um the uncles and the cousins and the brothers knew that and so he had a difficult time just fighting his way through and trying to stay clear of the drama that came with being the only black man in in high school my dad was dealing with racism in his own way but very very um, at executive level at Ford. And so the, it was mm. a different kind of thing. He wasn't directly in your face like we were dealing with every day. And so he just knew that was part of the, the process, but he, it wasn't confrontational. It was, you know, always, he was executive already. You know what I mean? So he had a different way. So he was dealing with it. We yeah. were everyday fighting. So, so as time has gone on, did your dad open up about some of the things he was facing and, and just more so holding that face because that era of black men, especially were looked at in in some ways as like you know Jackie Robinson Jesse Owens like if you're if you were a barrier breaker black yeah. women and black men mm-hmm. some of it is like you know I gotta deal with this you know like I don't like the story of Jackie Robinson though I respect it <laughs> I don't like the story because it's like I don't know if I'm gonna have somebody spit on me right dig right cleats into to me to but deal. it's almost like if that person doesn't have the the dignity the pride the uh, I guess the he wouldn't be a barrier. The resolve, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I, you know, my dad. Um, you know, we always clown and say, you know, my dad was a, was a thug, and mm-hmm. so he grew up in 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 tough times and was one of the only ones in his family who got out through education. Mm-hmm. So, but he always had street in him. Yeah. Um. So he would use his skills to manipulate and hustle, even at an executive level. Yeah. So he always felt in control. And he okay. always felt like you're not going to get over on me. I'm always going to win mm-hmm. um, kind of mentality, um, you know, and we didn't find out until later. But he he definitely broke barriers, but he was so determined to um, get through it, to make it, to chase the American dream, to prove anybody yeah. wrong that said he couldn't do it. You know, growing up um, in poverty that he 
was a little blindsided with with family issues, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so when mom and she took off and she left him down there, like, okay, you handle it. I'm I'm headed back up to Detroit yeah. with the girls, and um, he he finally came around. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was just one of those moments where he he was just tunnel vision. I get yeah. my motivation and my drive from from my dad. Okay, so we're talking about that same motivation and drive. You're back in Detroit, mm-hmm. on to Detroit. Where are you in school when you come back? Well, we lived in the summer. We lived uh, seven mile in um, Washburn area. Okay. So we were signed up to go to Mumford. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we stayed with relatives and family that whole summer, just trying to figure it out. My mom was trying to, you know, get her no bearings. Where, where yeah, didn't know. We just left. Like, you just no knew plan. Cincinnati was she not said, it. We got to get the heck out of here. Exactly. They, had a, they had threw a brick through our window like that follow that. A week before that mm. um, with the you know nigga go home wrapped around the brick and they were burning stuff on our lawn. It got that mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. And so she had just had enough. And so we were just staying with family. And then um, we finally um, moved in with my sister um, and we got registered at Mumford and we went to um, school one day. So on the way to school, um, I got into it with some girl and I was on the way home. I went to school, registered, and on the way home, some girl said something that I was looking at somebody and blah, blah, blah. Now we scrapping in the middle of Washburn. It was like, you know, here I am again, you know, fighting, fighting for, for no reason. And so mm-hmm. right right at that time, and I didn't, we didn't know that at the time, my dad was trying to woo my mom back. Mm-hmm. And so he had sold the house in Cincinnati, moved up here, bought a house, mm-hmm. and was trying to get her to come back or whatever. And so he bought the house in South Philly through. Okay. And so we ended up... That one day, going to register, coming out of Mumford, and moving from there to a hotel to stay with him. Okay. All right. And then this this era of uh, Southfield Lathrop mm-hmm. from there, which which has its own um, <laughs> which has its own culture around it too. Especially it then, like I was driving down the street and I was like, man, this is University Prep now. But I remember when it was Southfield High and Lathrop High and the the rivalry yeah. that existed and what Sawfield was in the 80s for like a class of I, I would say like the Oakland County class of kind of what Royal Oak Township once was for Uh-oh. black people um, and, and black yeah. people of some affluence and, and influence where you know it was it was some prominence in the 80s you know was, there was and that was that you know that exodus that started from Detroit to, you know, north mm-hmm. suburbs. And a lot of people landed in the Southfield area yeah. because of that. And so, um, and then trickled up to, to Lathrop. And now it's all, you know, it's all changed yeah. over the years. But um, I remember at the time, we were so excited just to be around black people. We, it was like, you know, you know, going to Lathrop, but it was probably 12, 15% black at that time. Uh-huh. Um, was, we were just excited. And there were yeah. just people that looked like us and like people... And we had Arabs and, you know, Jewish and, you know, Chaldeans and Indians. And, you know, it was just like, you know, it was so exciting. I remember we wanted to go to South High because it was a lot more black people. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but mm-hmm. dad was like, no. So the house was in, you know, in Lathrop. So we ended up going to Lathrop High School. Okay. From there, where do you go? Um, well, I went to Eastern Michigan University okay. and um, graduated in business and, and four years later, in and out in four Okay. Now, this is where I'm definitely going to ask about how I know you. I know you're into music and working with artists. Mm-hmm. And you have such a, a business acumen for organization, for how you like things done, uh, <laughs> dotting I's, crossing T's. And working with artists is definitely a, a different flow where it's yeah. very... 
you know, it can be very emotion based. It can be very, very much on feel, very much on energy, yeah. not necessarily so much in business. So you went to school for business. I did. Your, your, your father's an executive. Your yeah. mom's working in a bank. You're seeing people with the business acumen around you all mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. you know. So I can only imagine probably as a kid, you may have had like some entrepreneurial journeys and everything, too. Did you mm-hmm. did you were you starting any businesses when you were a kid? I did not. No, mm-hmm. I I got the bug early but i didn't know what it was Mm -hmm. i remember thinking man it would be great to own to be a truck driver Hmm. i know right and my dad looking at me like my Mm -mm. daughter of mine's gonna be a truck driver but in my thought process it was they own the truck they live in the truck they can drive the truck wherever they want there was freedom see that's that's like a management mind and i was actually a truck driver at one point were you So like, I don't I didn't uh, know of course all the details to that but yeah, it just yeah. you know we had an uncle that was and it was like one of those things like you live back here in the it's back rent, of the truck it's rent I don't free have to, it, right you, you know what I'm all saying money. Yeah. I just it, it made sense to me and mm-hmm. um and so I kept that like as a thing like it represented I could do whatever I wanted to do and yeah. make my money the way I wanted to make it and okay. I didn't know that that was entrepreneurship the freedom mm-hmm. freedom freedom was you know one of those feelings that I, that I've always chased Okay. And so um, coming out of school, well, let me back up. When I was in high school, the story goes, um, I did events. So um, I would do graduation parties, birthday parties, baby showers in high school, you know, that oh, sort so of thing. so people would come to you to plan that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how, not really even understanding that what, that, that was start? a gift. Were you like just had a party and uh, like with the family and they're like, you gonna do my birthday. And then it was like, um, I guess. It started because I was the friend in our friend group who always did all the management. So, so you, knew, you knew with the most boys. You got along with the most boys, basically, <laughs> I did. I'm guessing. I did. So they're like, I, I have Nina do it, and then <laughs> Reggie going to come, and I like Reggie. <laughs> it, it, was, it was like that. Or, you know, where we going this weekend, I'd plan whole itinerary out. If okay. we were traveling, which we did, I tried to travel a lot in high school, you okay. know, doing that itinerary, making the calls, organizing, putting the schedule together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And it got to be the point where they, you know, when there was a question, how mm-hmm. are we going to do it? Or what are we going to do? They look at me and I started to get upset. Like, well, do something. Why you don't do it? You know, I didn't mm-hmm. understand the gift at that time. And so that led to, you know, just their own parties and events and stuff mm-hmm. like that for people. And then a graduation party that I did. One of that, one of the dads gave me $50. Okay. Um, her dad was like, man, we couldn't have done this without you. We're so grateful that you're here kind of thing. And I, you know, it, w- it came so easy to me that it wasn't a, a big deal but when he gave me the fifty dollars i was like hmm. your first business dollar hmm. you remembered it it's okay. like mm, this, this is gonna is go something. to northland <laughs> <laughs> i was like pop 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. that was so funny so i, I kind of put a pin in that like okay this is something that i can mm-hmm. actually do for a living i yeah. can make money off of it so when i went to college it, for business it wasn't necessary to be an entrepreneur i just knew that i wanted to understand how business worked okay and um when i got up there i just ended up migrating to people who were throwing parties and migrating huh. to people who were throwing events and ended up a part of those teams what was the um, culture at eastern like then because it, it's a different type of campus uh and it's changed a little bit over time just for me it? knowing it I, I feel like the culture has changed but what was it like for you when you got there um when i got up there i knew a few people i didn't know a whole lot of people but um i was a different breed of folk mm-hmm. I, it, now that i know other people who've gone through the same process my whole goal to go to school was to get out of school okay so my focus was to go. Um, I was able to get half of my school paid for 
but mm. I had to work for the other half. Okay. So I worked full time. Um, I hustled a f- couple other jobs. I hustled mm. some people. I did some events, mm. and I went to school. Okay. That was it. I didn't really get involved in any extracurricular hmm. organizations. I didn't pledge anything. I had all my friends did all of that, but I just was mm-hmm. getting out. That's okay. <laughs> part of my. That so was I was focused on getting out in four years, period, okay. and um, and starting my business career because I wanted to, you know, get started early. I wanted to go. To, I wanted to start working, which I did. I started working at fourteen, but I've always wanted to work instead of go to school okay but i had promised my dad and i knew it was an opportunity for me to go you know so mm-hmm. i went to school but it wasn't like i had this great college experience where i was um you know involved in all of the activities i, okay. I wasn't that girl okay well, i had a great college experience don't get me wrong but just wasn't plugged in like that okay go so interview. from college where are you working well um, graduated from college, sent out about a hundred resumes and nada, mm, nada, 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 you know, something. and back then the climate was you graduate from college, they, you go into a manager trainee program, right. And they would pay for you to be trained and yada, 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 which is kind of what I expected, but, but it was changing as I was graduating. And mm-hmm. so went on a lot of interviews and, um, you know, just couldn't land the, land a gig. And it was like one of those first moments you're like, huh. Am I, am I supposed to be trying to get this job? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, and I have a story where I, I interviewed with Price Waterhouse down at the Renaissance Center mm-hmm. and uh, landed a job. I was so excited, right? And um, uh, they were starting a new department or doing something like that. And by the time I got home from the interview, I had a, a, a voicemail on my answer machine. Back then, they had answering machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, my answer machine said they, they had downsized the department and eliminated my position. Wow. So this is like almost the start of what's happening. Yes. In America, transitioning really from more of an industrial age into the information technology age, Mm -hmm. which did your father even talk about this? Because him working in the automotive industry, I'm sure he saw a lot of that as well. Um, He didn't talk about it too much. His his um, he kept a lot of the stuff that he did and dealt with at the job from that perspective mm-hmm. to himself. Okay. Um, but he was a uh, executive trainee. So he would, ma- he would train executives and managers and stuff like that. So he was not necessarily touching anything automotive or engineer wise, man. He, mm-hmm. he was more in um, person to person in training. Yeah. So he, he, but I watched how the industry changed. And, and mm-hmm. one of the things that he would not do for us is allow us to work at one of the big three. Hmm, that's so interesting. He so did he not knew want something. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he just didn't want um his his whole part point was not to ever have us working in factories mm. but then as we started to get older I'm like well dad you can put a word in he was like you got to find your own dream hmm. and I was like mm, okay asshole yeah you were like, <laughs> you were like yo you could plug me in fam he could he definitely could plug know. us in he didn't do that for any of us hmm. he, we have, I have um uh, there's four of us as children so yeah he's going to be going on to heaven so i don't i can't ask him the why he decided why. but mm-hmm. i think he just wanted he didn't want to give anybody a, a handout and mm-hmm. he wanted um you know In he was one mind. of those people i picked up myself by the bootstraps and you gotta do the same thing kind of kind of thing yeah school I'm, of hard knocks and i definitely am one that i never have believed in the whole bootstrap theory even though i know america pushes that whole concept of mm-hmm. rugged individual Everybody is tying to relationships for opportunities. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at these Mike Bloomberg commercials, you just it looks like he's just like a guy that just fumbled his way out of uh, 
poverty. You know, knowing that, yeah, no, uh, yeah, out of poverty to become a billionaire. <laughs> you know, it's like seriously, bro. Donald Trump too. It's like seriously, bro. Come yeah, on. Yeah, there's always here. someone. And yes. so, but Dad will tell that story, and mm. you know, like he was the only one. So I don't mm. know what to tell you. So, um, <laughs> so from from the 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 field at uh, as you're looking at the landscape mm-hmm. in in that field, what led you in to work with artists? Well, um, interesting enough, one of the jobs I had in college was managing dry cleaners. Hmm. And so I've always been in a management or leadership position majority mm-hmm. of my life. And so I would manage dry cleaners because I could hustle. So in, yeah. in managing the dry cleaners, I can also press. And if you if pressing got you got paid by the piece. And so if I could <laughs> I would get one salary here, but I would go and do pressing if I need some extra money. Yeah. So um, and I was an amazing presser. But anyway, um, so I was managing a, a dry cleaners in Southfield. And, I, you know, I took care of all my clients. They loved me. And I had a, a client by the name of Ken Bell. Mm-hmm. And Ken Bell was a DJ on 92.3 back in the day. Matter of fact, we just reconnected on Facebook. Ain't that something? It is something. And he was like Shout the out. guy. UBQ, doing all of the parties. He was that guy. Ah, UBQ. UBQs back in the day. And so I told him, you know, he knew me and um, knew my story. And one mm-hmm. day he came in. He was like, you know, I forgot to tell you, I've got a, my sons are starting a group. And um, with your experience, because in college I did some parties. I also did a concert. And so I fell in love with the production end of just developing shows mm-hmm. in college. Um, and so he was like, you would be a great road manager for them. Wow. Now, let me ask you this. It, d- two things. What was the show you did in college? But also, I want you to speak about just your readiness and preparation, even in the capacity of pressing and cleaning clothes, mm-hmm. created that opportunity. As I said, nobody pulls themselves up completely from bootstraps, but he was observing your skill set. Yeah. In doing that. So almost having like the tenacity and your commitment to task mm-hmm. created an opportunity for me. I think it was a couple things. I think it was the fact of the way that I always treated my customers when they came in. Mm-hmm. Um, that it allowed for conversation and getting to know mm. people a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, my commitment to excellence. So if they had a problem, you know, I was, you know, I was Johnny on the spot to make sure that I handled it. Because mm-hmm. um, I always wanted to treat people like I wanted to be treated. And that's kind of how I've kind of, you know, um, honed my business after that model. I, and I know that's a biblical um, principle, but it, it's true for me. Like I, I want to be treated a certain way and I want to be able to treat people the same. And so I think that came through. In the conversations that so and then the, the skill set behind the things that I've learned, mm-hmm. I just always felt like I've always felt like it, things were going to happen for me as long as I kept pushing for it. Wow. I just never believed it wouldn't. So even in that doubtful moment of not being able to get that job that I wanted and chasing that, you know, now I understood that it wasn't for me, you yeah. know, but another one is for me. Yeah. And it's just, you know, oh, oh that door closed and oh, okay, look, let me look over here. I never really got into a place of, you know, what was me? Nothing's going to happen for me kind mm-hmm. of space. Mm-hmm. There's just so much going on. There's so many opportunities out here. There's yeah. just so many, so many things to learn and do and and show up for. And I think just doing just being that person for me has allowed me to have those opportunities. So when he asked me to be a road manager, I was like, I don't know how to do that, but I'll figure it out. And that's mm-hmm. always kind of been my thing. Wow. It's like, I don't know how to do a concert, okay. but I'll figure it out. What was the concert you did? I did. We did a promotional um, concert where Queen Latifah came in and threw. Ah. A, well, this was back in 87, 88. 
Oh, so this was like early Latifah. This is really early. She was actually in. So this is how the story goes. We were doing these parties and we got into doing female exotic and male exotic parties because there's a lot of money to be made in that market. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, it got twisted and went left and I had to get out of that because okay. you know, I don't want to get I don't want to go to prison. Yeah, I feel that. Or get killed. So yeah, we don't, we don't I got that. out of that. <laughs> I got out of that. And these two guys from U of M had sought me out because they were also throwing parties at U of M. And they were like, hey, we're going to throw a concert. And they knew that at those parties that I was throwing that I would also do like, you know, poetry or, you know, um, have an, uh, a singer come or, you know, juggler, whatever. Entertainment in addition to. And a lot of them necessarily didn't have female exotic or male. Just a party and a DJ and stuff like that. Well. Mm -hmm. So like being able to kind of create some other experiences for people and that mm -hmm. led to falling in love with just the building of a production okay and so then these guys and i connected and said okay well let's do a concert and it was like what do we do and one of the guys had some relationships with the industry but i didn't have any relationships with the industry and the middle guy didn't have any relationships either so the other guy at this time you couldn't look it up on the internet no you had to know somebody to know somebody so we spent a lot of time calling and you know trying to figure some things out and mm -hmm. one of the guys um, the one guy who knew people in the industry got the information that that Queen. First, we had to do a list of who we wanted, blah blah blah. But he got the information that Queen Latifah was coming to Cleveland, and she was on this promotional tour. I didn't even know what a promotional tour was at that time. So you know what I mean? Like it was just all very, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if we could get to Cleveland, talk to her, and see if she could swing by. She was already coming to Detroit, and we need her to come thirty five forty minutes. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. And swing through. And I couldn't go. But so the guy, went, he drove down there and, and talked mm -hmm. to somebody to talk to somebody and, and worked it out. And um, she came through. MC Bree came through. Ah, and we, we did go. a DJ. And um, we only made a couple of dollars and broke even. And we learned how to market, got the flyers out. Mm -hmm. It was a whole experience. And at that time, I was becoming a junior in college. So I was like, um, I, I, this was fun. But I got to get back to school yeah. kind of thing. I was being a little distracted. But there was the experience was amazing. First time I had ever heard of a writer, um, you know, um, being able to have the right equipment, having to spend extra money that you didn't even yeah. think you would have to spend. Mm -hmm. That was back in college. That was, wow. that was a long time ago. And so. What was on uh, MC Breeze writer? He didn't have a writer. At the time. Quinn Steve had a writer, though. But he didn't have a writer. He was like, a bottle of Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> VSOP. And he, too, was doing some promotional things. So, like, uh, we were, we, we kind of figured out this promotional angle was really awesome if you get you had the timing had to be right right mm -hmm. so we we built that all around the fact that she was coming like mm -hmm. if it had been somebody else and we'd have done it on a different date to just try to figure out how not to have to pay the full fee yeah right and get them to come by and we would we would promote the heck out of them and um and you know develop fan base and all that sort of stuff cool so you know i learned it so from there, you, you're on the road with Kim Bale's group. I am. And they were called the Y. W-H-Y-Y. W-H-Y-Y. -Y. Yep. Okay. What type of music? They were a cover band. Okay. They were a cover <laughs> band and they do. They did um, old school, Minnie Rippleton. Uh, okay. uh, what's that guy's name? I can't remember. Makes no room. Anyway, so they did a bunch of stuff that, you know, old school songs. Okay. So it was two women, four guys. Okay. One high voice singer, one low voice singer, a rapper. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> it was so bad. It was okay. so bad. They were okay. bad. So, yeah, I was role <laughs> manager for the Y, but I learned a lot. Okay. Right? So How long did you do that? Gosh. 
I would say probably a, a year. So it was a whole summer. And at that age, a year is a long time. It was a long time. So I did. Especially on the road. So we, did, we had to do all the promo, buy all the, the, the clothes, get all of the branding right. And we had a drug dealer guy that was a sponsor. That, so he, A lot of. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. But not, in reality. What up, Mario? In reality. <laughs> In reality, <laughs> I mean to just be honest, Look, the entertainment industry mm-hmm. has been has been sponsored by sponsored drug dealer by, guys. Yeah, you just can't say that, right? Or liquor guys, or like some form of criminality. And, and this guy boxing, was this guy was amazing because you can wash. Uh, obviously, I mean it's a way that people wash money. You know, yeah. But he funded everything. He funded yeah. the photo shoots, the video. I gotta find that stuff. Um, you know, we'd go to Eastland and just pick out whatever and uh-huh. he would pay for it. And uh, so I was part of all of that. So I learned branding. I learned, excuse me, um, the music production as far as videos. And what about just the 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 science of dealing with artists? Because six personalities. Yeah. Yeah. From town to town. Mm-hmm. And who sings first? Who doesn't sing first? Who's coming yeah. in late? Who's, you know, uh, I'd, flirting I'd, with the lady or the guy oh gosh. from town to town? Like, how yeah. did you manage all that? Well, uh, I'll take it like this. We, we this cover group had a, had a fan base. Okay. And the fan base would follow them wherever they went. Wow. It was incredible. Wow. Um, and I like, knew that. Angie. What you doing here, Angie? It was crazy. I, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it at all. But they had a fan base. And so we uh-huh. would, you, I would find myself, because there's, about me is, I have a job to do and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how I work. And so I knew that my job was to get them to the, the event safely, get them on stage, get a check and let's go kind uh-huh. of thing. And so... I, I found myself in pulling girls out of hotel room, that girls out of hotel rooms. I found me dealing with the drug situation with a couple of the guys, um, fighting with the promoters to get a check. Yeah. Like having to, you know, I pulled all of the stuff that I learned on the East Side of Detroit, dealing with racism in Cincinnati. I pulled from all of that to be able to, you know, be effective in that area. So if you, if we, if you and I have a confrontation, we can handle it one of two ways. We can be really you know, kind hearted and professional about it, or we can go street. And I had, you know, a little bit of both in me um, to be able to pull off some of that stuff. Now I was having this discussion with uh, entertainment attorney, Howard Hertz too. Oh, Howard. um, Mm -hmm. Just the discussion of dealing with artists when they're struggling because artists have many insecurities. So sometimes the drugs are to deal and cope with that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the drugs are to get up and to go to sleep. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I need an upper to up down to sleep like and dealing with an artist as they're going through Mm -hmm. it can be it can be tough it can be really tough and i'm fortunate i didn't have to deal with with it to that extreme mm -hmm. um in the in the case that i was it was more just partying um Uh as opposed to some an an addiction issue Mm -hmm. or it being really heavy there was nothing like nobody was sticking needles in their arms or anything like that not in not then. You didn't notice, or you didn't. I, d- see I it didn't or they knew dealt that. With I just needed you to get on stage, way. do your job, and then you could do whatever you Execute. wanted. Execute. <laughs> yes, and then you can be ready for the next time. Yeah, and so so we had a young lady who decided she didn't want to um, perform. One of only got two backup singers, only too. one of them. That happens too. And she had a fight with her boyfriend. She was having a fit, and we were in the backstage, and we needed to be on stage in fifteen minutes. And yeah. I fired her. Wow. So I fired her and put on her outfit. And her uh, really low cut bodysuit. And you were on stage thing. And I did her whole routine from okay. from stop. We, to need, to, we need to find that video. We need to <laughs> no, find we that don't. video. 
they had to p- they got put me, me in and pin biker, everything in. It was it was, it was some biker shorts singing. Uh, <laughs> it was a bodysuit, all revealing and shimmying and shaking and stuff. And I was like, "This is crap." I knew to retain. I taught it to him. So you know, I, I so show doing what on. I needed to do to get the job done. Okay, that's and that's an example of that. And from there, like, I mean, you're so young at the time. Did this connect mm-hmm. as like, I want to keep doing this? Like, what what were you thinking at the time? Well, I was thinking that, um, I'll tell you exactly what I was thinking. On a, on a road trip back from Valdosta, Georgia, um, we were in Where a van Valdosta, driving. Georgia. Valdosta. Valdosta. And uh, they had a huge fan base in Valdosta, Georgia. Ain't that something? I'm crazy. sure they got a Cracker Barrel down there. <laughs> in the sticks, all black people. Really interesting. But I, I was in a van and we were headed back and I just remember thinking, Lord, this is not it. Mm. The van smelled like boy. I had $20 in my pocket because I had mm. to pay for extra stuff that wasn't on the thing. I couldn't get in touch with Mario, which was the, you know, yeah. the funder. Mm. And I just remember I enjoyed this, the, what I'm doing, like what I'm doing, mm. but the how I'm doing it and who I'm doing it for. Like I, I'm, I, I just wasn't, it wasn't right. And I'm not making any money Yeah. and I've got bills and I took off from work to do all these tours and stuff like that. Mm. And so I go back to the cleaners whenever I needed to, but I was living with a roommate at the time who was my best friend and she was pretty much footing the bills now that's the other reality of this entertainment industry oh yeah it's a lot of smoking mirrors a lot of smoking mirrors it's it's a lot of smoking mirrors so it's money that's passing out but it's so many people that in in segments that need to get paid yeah from from the first off tickets need to move yep so like the ticket gate which is kind of already like an industry within its own for <laughs> Ticketmaster. yeah the venues themselves which mm-hmm. is kind of industry with its own through live nation mm-hmm. the uh um where you book the artists is uh man morris um man man most of the artists are signed to the same booking agency as well so from tickets to venue to promotions, yeah. to production, to the actual maintenance of the facility. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people's hands that go between yeah. before you get paid. Yes. Especially right. if you're a part of the management and production team. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, um, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. The beginning parts were rough because I didn't really know how to move in that area. Yeah. I just knew that the artists need to get paid. And so, yep. and then I had a fee. And so, but yep. if anything went wrong, money had to come out of those fees in order to take care of stuff. Yeah. And so like budgeting wasn't a, wasn't um, a strong point of our producer, of uh, the funder. He yep. didn't, he just, he would just, he didn't budget well. And so mm-hmm. like being able to know the expenses between Detroit and Pittsburgh Val- and, Val- and, yeah. and being able to do all that. So I learned, I started to learn how to, how to how to um, estimate and forecast? And this is, what this is pre-internet to too, so it's oh, not like yeah. you can price line and stuff yeah, like that. So like constantly. getting a getting <laughs> a, just booking a hotel room, mm-hmm. uh, knowing where you're gonna stop, and you had to take their word for it. Yeah. Like so, if you're booking a hotels from Detroit all the way down to you know Miami, if you didn't know the hotel or you didn't know anybody who stayed there, you were taking their word for it that the hotel was what it was. Yeah, and you, you would get there, and you weren't staying at uh, nine times out of ten. The, it was the not drug in suite. You know, they they meant to say they should have said it was a motel, and they said it's a hotel. And you get there, and it's you know roach infested. You know, all sorts of that type of thing happening. Yeah, exactly. So it's like what it activity was is going on in the room next to me? <laughs> well, phones are nailed down to the table, and remotes don't move. You just click, click, 
Yeah. Exactly. It was all TVs are nailed down. Like all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, did all that. So you definitely came up from the Chitlin circuit in that experience, <laughs> as they say. I would say. I said, you know, the Y was was wasn't the you know, sorry, Ken. But the Y wasn't the best group, but I, I cut my teeth on a lot. Like I learned a lot through that whole process. But that's sometimes the best way to learn. Absolutely. And in, in reality, if if executed well, I was listening to uh I don't know how much you know. I love that old blues, and a lot of that old blues, especially like, no, I, I is, did not know is, that. Kind uh, Chitlin circuit based music. It's money in those markets if you my know last how to $2? penetrate. Mm-hmm. It, oh yeah, last two dollars, <laughs> like some Marvin C stuff. Like oh my goodness, get old blues. You know what I'm saying? But even even more classier, you know, uh, Eddie James. Like I like blues stuff, but okay. those markets exist, mm-hmm. and we even see those blues concerts. It's like why Absolutely. is that man on stage with Jerry Curl and top hat? Mm-hmm. It's like oh because. It's a market for that. You <laughs> yeah, it's a market for that. A huge market for the yeah, blues stuff. And, and that's kind of working the corners, working the angles, and really budgeting well. Yeah. Uh, and knowing how to budget, as yes. you say. The 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 knowing who your audience is, how you push them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the recent Dolomite movie that people saw, he kind of worked that market. Yeah, he did. And, and he know, knew exactly who his fan base was. And, and he went exactly after that market. Who your fan base, fan base is and who to penetrate. Yep. So after you leave that tour, what gets you reignited to say all right i i like this Mm -hmm. i just need to shift who i'm doing it with well i i i prayed and was like you know god uh i i don't like this and Uh i'm not making any money Mm -hmm. and it was just obvious to me that i needed to go back to church okay and so um i ended up um you know attending um a church in the city and not a month in was I planning their spring concert, fall concerts, you know, meeting with the pastor every Wednesday at 630 in the morning, you know, running the music ministry after about six months. It was just one of those things that happened. And so, um, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities. So like as as opposed to an opportunist who takes advantage, I, I, I just feel like there's a space for for me to grow in this space and so I wanted to learn as much as I could and I think church is a great place to learn I learned everything about sounds and lights mm. I ran the soundboard I ran the video I, you know I worked wow. with my sister Mary Thomas about how to do video like I learned as much as I possibly could I directed the choir mm. I did all the things I wanted to do mm. <laughs> at, the, at the church so and figured out like how to do it Yagi way of learning production I just wanted to learn it yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and at that time I didn't even know why I just it uh-huh. was a, something I gravitated to as an interest. Mm-hmm. And so when I was planning those concerts, I, I invited, you know, I'm, I'm booking artists at this point. I'm booking artists. I'm booking uh, people local and um, out of state. Mm-hmm. And so I'm managing budgets. Um, you know, all the stuff that I had, had knew that was a fail on the road. Now I am putting, mm-hmm. uh, I'm in a position to do it and, and learn how to do it well. Right. Okay. So I'm doing that. And then a couple of the artists who came that I had performed asked me to manage them. Hmm. And uh, one artist asked me to manage them, and I, I didn't know how to manage anybody, mm-hmm. but I was just one of those things. I was like, oh, I think I'll figure it out. You know, it sounds interesting, okay. and it sounds like I can build on build on something like this. Okay. You know, and I believed in the artists that I was working with enough to be like, you need help, and okay. I think I could, I think I can help you. Now let's talk about that relationship between artist and manager. Okay, because uh, many artists definitely always say, I just need a manager. And I think for mm. many artists, when they say that, it's like, I need somebody that's going to pay for everything. And do all the work. <laughs> and help me get 
<laughs> shows and help me get a lot of money yeah. <laughs> and take only 10%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's sometimes artist interpretation of I need a manager. So yeah. it's like everybody in life needs that person, but um, that yeah. person does not exist. So explain the relationship between artist and manager um independent because it's it's different it goes up the scale it is different so yeah let's start from independent starting from scratch grassroots what's that relationship well i can tell what, what my relationship is and then i can tell you as i grew as a manager what i um what i grew mm-hmm. to know about what managers should do shouldn't do service could do provide. couldn't do yeah. kind of thing and mm-hmm. so when i first um, got connected with this um, with this one group and then the band that they work with, Hot Sauce at that time, um, I, I was able to knew that they were talented right away and then turned them into their own separate group kind of thing. But um, I just felt like I could be a partner in this and that, you know, you have the talent, I have the business acumen to be able to get us to another level. Yeah. And so my commitment to them was as long as we work together in that you do what you're supposed to do, so that I, I'm going to do these things, and then we're going to grow this brand. Um, I will stay in this with you until as long as I can. That was really my commitment. It wasn't necessarily I'm going to make you a superstar. It wasn't um, um, I'm going to make you a whole lot of money. Even it was like I see some things that I can help with, and we're going to do this together. Okay, now from the beginning, as I'm as an artist, you know, I got to ask this question: How much transparency? was between the artist and you because growing in trust, especially mm-hmm. more talented people, they've always trying. Like, yeah, 100%. Uh, were you one of those people um, that wanted to know the moves that the artist was making or was it like I only really am concerned about the moves that we're making together? No, it was that those relationships were 100% transparency, meaning um, um, if, you know, all the booking went through me, all of the branding went through me, the photo shoots, the videos, the relationships with any labels or mm-hmm. any contract signing of any kind, all of that had to come through me. Mm-hmm. Um, now they can have, um, ideas about what they wanted to do. Um, we always had goal meetings and we set goals every year and what they want to accomplish. Um, and their part of what they were going to bring to the table and what I was going to bring to the table to make that happen. Okay. Um, and then I might add some things based on some things I'm forecasting. So this is going to be, you know, the next big thing. So here's where I think you should think about moving towards, you know, whether it's, you know, speaking or these other other available sources of revenue. I want you to focus on these areas because your goal is to make X by a certain amount of time. Right. So let's put these things in place to make that happen. So that's kind of how relationships work. Now, as you're introducing that, I, I also want to keep ever present that you're dealing with multiple people. Yes. And they're creative. Mm-hmm. So these things change. And like I say, with talented, creative people, mm-hmm. it's always new ideas that come up every day. Yeah. You know, their cousin in Arizona is like, hey, look at what Puffy's doing. Look at what Beyonce's doing. You mm-hmm. can try something like this. My my uncle just met, you know, Lil Wayne's cousin. So <laughs> we can go out to Arizona and talk to him today. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, I always had a conversation with them about, um, goal setting and a straight narrow path and then having these side streets that happen. Yeah. I think as long as we're focused on this, these pop-ups are going to happen, but th- that's all they are. They're pop-ups, meaning, yeah. um, we have these goals, we have this track work, this, this schedule that we're going to do the year, but you might get a you know a call to go down to Florida and do such a so-and-so. Is it in the line with the goals of what we're trying to accomplish? If it is, then let's do it. If it's not, let's take a look at what the advantages are. 
Is it a pop of money real quick? Can we make a few thousand dollars on this? Or is this going to do anything for your brand or your or from a promotional aspect? How can we utilize it to, to make it fit into the the goal? or the goal for the year. Okay. And so that's kind of how I focused and focused and focused and reiterated constantly about staying on task. Um, so that when these blips came, you know, I got to open up for Patti Bell. Okay, that's great and wonderful. Let's try to utilize that, but what, you know, does how does that work? It's from a promotional standpoint, it's fantastic, but we got to stay on task. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you'll start to you'll start to see this thing grow cuz you're focused on the task that at hand. You have a whole st- strategy. Mm-hmm. So the strategy was the most important thing to me. Um, And so in teaching that to the artists, you know, they started to see how this how this thing can grow once you're focused um, and not focused on these one off kind of things that may or may not have to do with the strategy. The goal. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I love how you just crystallized that. So how did everything work out? Just bringing that concept to life? Um, I think, uh, you know, it worked out really well. We, um, with the two girls that I managed at the beginning, you know, we, we did some things that, um, you know, signed artists aren't doing, you know, so they didn't sign really quickly. Um, we traveled, did lots of touring, did, you know, lots of shows that, you know, only are allowed for signed artists just because of relationships and, and that sort of thing. We were able to build a brand um, on both of those groups. And I added work groups as of course it went on because you get to make some money at this. But, um, um, I think that it'd be interesting to have them here to have the conversation, but, um, I think I did, I think I did well in that the goals that we were trying to accomplish were accomplished. Um, you know, one of the groups was to get signed to a label and be able to, you know, be have some creative control and yada yada. Walked them into the door where they had creative control, got signed to a label, also had distribution waiting to happen, which doesn't happen prior to that. So we were able to negotiate that deal. And and you know, they decided they, you know, they they made some decisions that weren't the best and the group broke up. So like, you know, mm-hmm. I did my part. And and that happens as well. Oh, and yeah. also in, in any business, but mm-hmm. especially in this business, you know, um, adage my mom used to say every goodbye ain't gone every farewell ain't forever (laughs) so like uh things come back and and you'll be surprised sometimes what can get everyone back to the same table and artists are very passionate and emotional about their art too so like we're we're dealing with we're dealing in the business realm but we're also dealing with in the in the sensitivity of emotion too and what Mm -hmm. they put into it and different people have different visions as those visions as you say those goals can reset and realign is like just people grow you know people have children people yeah uh, absolutely people you know um you know recommit themselves to faith in different ways people commit themselves people change yeah people just change and as you grow and we started god the um the youngest in the house at that time was i think 14 so they were still kids you know they were still trying to figure it out you know mm-hmm. and um and they're still figuring out so, so yeah. hot sauce uh, for anyone who's listening it's not they have never broken up mm-hmm. they just have um you know decided to do some other things for that now. took them away from you know, mm-hmm. family children life took them away from being able to do the group but there's always conversations about you know getting back together and doing some things so um we'll see what happens 
Okay. So from there, and you, mm-hmm. and it's good that you built the connection with a group like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many people are familiar with Hot Sauce uh, here in Detroit. And really a lot of the groups that kind of came out of that. Like, I mean, I think <laughs> of like uh, people influenced like the Alex Whites and Ideas and Daryl mm-hmm. and just so many other The bands, people. Jukebox, yeah. 3 and 3 Experience all came out of those. Yeah, 313. Mm-hmm. Um, just that feel. Yeah. Um, and, and it definitely had a tone on Detroit culture uh, mm-hmm. of young people, young energy hitting the stage and creating their own music. And then if they do a cover, having like a, a new spin and taste on it. Yeah. Uh, what was your a- after those experiences and learning that? Mm-hmm. What was your take on working? What's your take on working with artists now? Um Oh, well, that's a big leap. So I started uh, working with artists then. And then, you know, we we did well enough to garner attention. So financial management garnered attention from national labels, production houses and management companies. And that's Mm -hmm. how we ended up working with national artists um, while I was growing the the artists that that I was working with. Mm -hmm. And so they were, you know, the synergy of both at the time. And so even like the 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 local regional artists I was working got to work with a lot of the national artists as because of those relationships. Um, so in that learning, you know, tour management and really learning road management from international perspective was amazing. And um, being able to apply all of that now to, you know, what the artists that I was working with underneath, underneath foundation management had to offer, um, you know, had has come around circles. So not too long ago, I decided after being on the road and being in Fantasy Island is what I call it, mm-hmm. doing international tours and traveling and meeting all these wonderful people and having all these crazy experiences out on the road, um, I decided to, to get off the road. Um, I realized that I was not building the brand that I had set out to build, mm-hmm. um, that I was always building someone else's brand. Mm-hmm. And so when I started my company in 2000, it was to build this company to something that's could be sustainable for myself and my children Mm -hmm. and to leave a legacy. And I found myself being attracted to all these other things where I wasn't really building anything anymore. I was just kind of out there Mm -hmm. handling everybody else's business and and not my own. Okay. And so um, I came off the road in 2014 Mm. and decided that I needed to focus back into building my brand and, and building the company that I started that long ago. And, um, I I've refocused into things that I was good at and things I love to do, which is corporate events. And so I landed my first corporate event in 2015. And this is the, we're in our fifth year of doing some amazing, some amazing things. And we do corporate events, production and staffing now. So that's my focus. I, 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 um, my last artist was the end of 2018. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm no longer doing artist management. Okay. Um, and I'm all, I'm the happier for it. (laughs) i do consult i do get Uh people always inboxing me and doing some asking questions which is great i don't stay and i don't stay abreast of all of the rules and and labels and all the stuff that i had to know then Mm. and it's a breath of fresh air i'm not gonna lie to you carrie it's like you know I, i listened to music because i had to for 15 18 years now i listen to stuff because i want to it's a different animal. Yeah. You know, where my, t- my ear was always tuned into, you know, uh, changes or notes or how the it was received. I'm always looking at charts and who, who's who's it's just it was a lot. Hmm. And so um, it kind of g- gave me like a, a little distaste for music. Wow. I just started to kind of hate music. Mm. 
and uh, just being just being transparent about it. Mm-hmm. And I found myself not listening to anything at all. Wow. And so as I wean myself off of having to do it, um, I'm now starting to re-enjoy finding new artists and like because I want to. Okay. Not because I have to know about it. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? that's cool. Yeah, it's some cool artists. And it's a lot speaking, of great artists out here. Speaking of that, that's, you know, kind of one of the things with Piper. You, yes. You all in the foundation and mm-hmm. connecting. We found hip hop. We found hip hop. Mm-hmm. We found hip hop is connecting uh, non-misogynistic mm-hmm. uh, women in hip hop to hip hop, like a pure entertainment and a lot of... Uh, a lot of different types of voices too. Yeah, Lots of different you know, types of voices, from from DJing to breaking to MCing and singing and painting. It, it's it's an mm-hmm. experience. It is. It's 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 and what I think the name kind of lends itself to to people thinking it's just hip hop. But if you know the origin of hip hop, it's about the beginning of of music as a whole. And so if you're thinking about um, what this means, it's an, it's just a safe space for women to be able to do what they do without having to worry about anyone challenging or questioning why they do it. Mm-hmm. And it started with, um, like, from a vision. You're working with Piper, first off. I Piper am. So Carter. Piper Carter is a, is a client. She's a business partner, and she's a friend. Okay. Now, from what started with the No Misogyny Open Mic has become <laughs> a whole movement. It is a movement, and I don't think people really understand the the um, impact that the open mic um, had with the foundation of women in hip hop at that time, mm-hmm. and the impact of what it's done for other open mics and other performances in the city of Detroit. You know, as a whole, you know what I mean. I don't think people understand that the when Piper decided to make these rules, right? There was these rules, and that hip hop folks had had trouble with the rules at first. Yes. But you knew she had created a brand enough. And when you knew you came to her events, that was the rule. Yeah. And, you know, and there was no violence. And you can talk about women. You can call them bitches and hoes. And that was not going to You can't, you know, you, you had to follow the rules. And it created this thing, right? And so, and some people like it and some people don't. And yeah. I think that's okay. And, and with that, she also uh, really got a lot of support and synergy for giving women so much of that stage yes. and a safer space to perform because yes. hip hop, as we know, is such a male dominated on stage, at least. Yeah. I mean, behind the scenes, I think it's nothing but women really usually <laughs> working it, but on stage and yeah. in production, what you see visually is almost most all men. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely know. dominant in, with men. I mean, entertainment as a whole is still yes. dominant with men. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it also is a space for people like myself who was in it, who was in entertainment and was behind the scenes. So from a road management, tour manager, artist management, business entertainment person, um, it allows for people like me to, to, um, connect with other people like me and in, in the entertainment industry, women who ha- who are surrounded by men constantly. Yeah. So if I'm on a tour bus and there's 12 bunks you know, the loving of them. And sometimes on the couches in the front of them, but they're all men. So you, we, you know, we, we travel in these, in these circles surrounded by men constantly all the time. And then, you know, wanting to also make sure we have a voice in yeah. that. And from a business standpoint, if I'm walking on a stage of a production crew, that might be 50 people. And I am the one that's going to be ordering people around. That's a challenge. 
Yeah. You're right. You know, I'm talking to old white union guys and I walk Usually. in and they're like, well, who's going to who's running who's running production today? And I'm like, it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. And I and I revert back to that. We can do it the easy way. Or we can do it the hard way. But guess yeah. what? We got a show to do. And so like being able to have that conversation with other women in the industry, I think is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a part of the whole brand of We Found Hip Hop. So March 7th, you all are doing something big. We're doing something big. It's our third annual We Found Hip Hop. Mm mm. We found hip hop women. <laughs> we found hip hop showcase. Yep, it's our third annual, which is yep. crazy because it feels like it, we just got started. So we're this is our third year of showcasing female artists in the city of Detroit of multiple genres. So we have singers and dancers and poets and um, and hip hop okay. and DJ and a live all female band. Okay, I'm with it. It's it's good synergy. Who are some of the people performing? Well, we have one of our young, uh, new artists slash poet, uh, Sanaa. And she is, um, she's been on all three shows. And one of the reasons that we do that is she's so different and unique. Mm-hmm. And she's grown. She's taken her artist really seri- artistry really seriously. And so we're proud of her in that she has been able to stay true to what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not conforming to anything of the industry that says she has to do anything. So she's kind of the example of why we do what we do. So she's got to open up the show. Um, we've got Frankie P, which is, uh, she's a beast. Mm-hmm. You know Frankie P. Yeah, Frankie P rocked the the brand of I'm the Rapper, She's the DJ mm-hmm. for the festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, good MC um, from, man, I'm about to, I'm slipping. What's the, what's the art? The Dime School? Dime, um, yeah. Well, you know, she came uh, our first year we did the event and she was at our open mic section. She just came out of the audience. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't even know she existed. Okay. And so she came out the audience and our, we have an open mic cypher sec- uh, section of the event where anybody can come on stage and, and show their skills, whether it's singing or dancing or rapping. And she came up and she lit the stage on fire. And we were looking at, Piper's looking at me, I was looking at her like, where has this girl been? Like, we need mm-hmm. to connect with her. And since then, we've been working with her, um, booking her shows, you know, helping with artist development, putting bands together, doing some promotion, like, mm-hmm. you know, doing a lot of development with her. Definitely, definitely. So this is like if you haven't, like I always say, the call to action, if you haven't seen women in hip hop and from their own voices, as I I sometimes look at what is promoted in women in hip hop because it's it's strange. It's like, I guess now there are more women voices in hip hop, but it's like women using the perspective and sexuality of men like kind of seeing them (laughs) and and sometimes even men writing the lyrics, you know what I'm saying? Uh, But like almost like this is like really their perspective. This is where they're coming from, which I I guess I can't, I can't be one to say if Meg the stallion or Cardi B uh, really feel that way or not, or, you know, but it's not not for us to really, it's the perspective is definitely from the perspective of like you know they uh, it, it definitely has the the strains of misogyny that um that a lot of people question uh hip hop from the beginning uh, yeah. and challenge hip hop from the beginning yeah it's being destructive to to our community yeah <laughs> it definitely has that i mean i mean i can't say that um um I don't like the music because some of it I do. Um, but what what 
what this particular show and what we find hip hop is about is being able to empower women to be able to do the music that's in their heart to do, yes. whether it's popular or not, yes. whether it's, um, you know, going to be radio or not, because generally you're not going to hear this on radio. Right. So no. it's true to them. So um, and we help to develop it so that it's it's palatable for the ear. Right. So that it's popular in the ways of production and the look and the sound and all of that sort of stuff and so you know you got people like dj problematic uh, uh, problematic uh, black hottie Hottie. that was on uh unicorns are real and yeah like her which is she's very sexual person Mm -hmm. and so like why we added her to the show was not was because it's not about not being sexual it's about being able to if that's what you want to do as yourself just do you and so we wanted her to be a part of it. One, she's an amazing DJ. And two, she, her brand is amazing. And um, she's free. Mm-hmm. You know, she's free to do her with nobody else telling her if she has to do it or not. You know, I've told you in the beginning of this whole thing that I chase freedom. So I think that's why I'm attracted to this brand. Um, just people have been able to, to do their gifts the way that they want to do it. So Thank you. Charity Ward is also part of our lineup. Um, if you follow Charity at all, if you don't know Charity, you need to look her up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charity Ward has been... Uh, making original music for a while now and um, you know acoustic guitar really really great tone on her voice her look is amazing and she speaks true so she chases freedom as well always women empowering songs about life you know and challenges and so her and then um, we have Ellie Santiago on the mic um, that's also going to host Ellie's going to host our cypher our Mm -hmm. open mic cypher which is going to be amazing so we're excited about the the whole lineup cool 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 and it's going to be this saturday coming up march 7th what time uh doors open at one o'clock show's mm-hmm. gonna start at two we're actually gonna present uh we found hip-hop and women of foundation hip-hop we found hip-hop and the foundation of women of hip-hops uh film that's mm-hmm. actually being considered for the detroit free press film festival right okay. now so we are presenting that we'll have a discussion about mu- Women in business. So myself will be presenting Stephanie Hammond, which is an entertainment lawyer. Mm-hmm. I will be presenting and Esther Kim, who is a graphic specialist. And so we'll be talking about branding and, and marketing and women in those fields mm-hmm. um, so that we can empower those in the audience who are who have young girls who want to try to um, maybe get in the music business, but don't don't want to be on stage. Yeah. So there's a whole nother area of business and entertainment that we neglect a lot of times because we're just focused on those on stage so this will be about that yep at the charles wright museum Mm -hmm. um you can get there make sure doors at one event at two o'clock yeah and then right following the event you'll be able to meet the artists and Mm -hmm. you know buy music and connect and take pictures and all that sort of stuff yeah interact welcome for the whole family to come it's a family Um, show so it's a family know, show. Bring, bring your babies. <laughs> bring your babies. Yes. Yep. And they can visit uh, wefoundhiphop.com for all the information and tickets. Okay. And last couple Detroit is different questions are the classic ones. Okay. So here we go. Um, first car. What was your very first car? Year making model year you got it. <laughs> My very first car was a K car. Mm. Old school. <laughs> I bought it for five hundred dollars. That was like my second year of college. Okay. Uh, it burnt up on the freeway. Ain't that something? Yeah. Where was the first place you went when you got it? Um, gosh, I bought it while I was at Eastern, so I would imagine to a party. Okay. <laughs> All right. Handle to a, some business. Working. <laughs> okay. 
All right, you're the DJ at the Detroit Fireworks, Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play three songs. What songs you playing? Give me the scenario one more time. You're the DJ. It's the end of the Detroit Fireworks. You get to Detroit play three Fireworks. songs. Oh. What three songs you playing? Oh, wow. Um, the Detroit Fireworks at the end. People are leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably going to play... Prince, nineteen ninety nine. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I will probably play "Outstanding" by Charlie Wilson and the Gap Band. Okay. And uh, then probably Frankie Beverly. Which one? Mm, before I let go. Okay. All right. Somebody said that know. last time. Oh, did they? Like, not the Beyonce version. I was like, oh. Oh. I'm just messing with you. But you know the <laughs> Ma- Frankie Beverly and May has got a better version. We have a guest in this podcast. So it's like, oh. <gasps> like, you know Frankie Beverly did that song better. Oh, challenge, challenge. Yeah, because it's family. So you want people to, you know, I love like on each other before bounce, they go. I like I like Beyonce's I'm not mad at Beyonce's version. No, no. She can't replace Frankie, but she did her own version. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say in the What's in wrong the with world that? Of, people of cover stuff all the time. Black classic. That's a she. That's a lot of balls. And yeah, I was gonna say in the world of covering a black classic, that, she did a great job. You picked that one out of all the ones you could have done. Yeah, I know. That's some balls. Feelings or something. Hmm. Or something. No, she couldn't. <laughs> happy feelings. <laughs> happy feelings. I like happy feelings. But I, I think those would be the three. What are your three? Uh, let's see. Um, most people don't ever ask this, but today oh, yeah. I'm feeling well. We're gonna play Good Life. Oh yeah, good life is good. We will play. Um, let's see. In the world of uh, just that, we're gonna play boss up and get this money. Just because. <laughs> and at the end of the fireworks. Yes, and then we're gonna play. Um, let's see. Um, Clean version, please. No, nah, probably the dirty version. It's the fireworks. Than. You got babies. Yeah, I know. It's a family show. Uh, let's see what. Uh, <laughs> What else? What other song would I would I end it with? I ended with something like uh, I throw I throw back some old school. Um, let's see what Motown song. What Motown song would I really mm. play? Um, hmm. See, because you want to do some Detroit Motown, but I think I was my, thinking my that Motown nothing came up in my nothing, spirit. Uh, uh, uh nothing nothing detroit motown is like you know you all my favorite like, motowns aren't really the detroit motowners but we i guess for the uh uh 25 miles to go by edwin star even though i know you're not from here but we're gonna play that because i just always <laughs> like the, the start of that i like that so so you know where my mind went when you asked me that question what from a production perspective you want at the end of a program like that you want to play slow music and get them out of there Mm-hmm. So that's why I started with hype, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna slow way down. Okay, so they can go home. No, no, I'm hyping people up. <laughs> keeping them there. Well, that's how I think. You know, it's yeah. the end of a production. From so. the production world. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what I'm playing? I'm tripping. I'm playing. Uh, you know, my eyes don't cry no more. We taking off. Oh, that okay, we could do that. We, we could do that. that. But you, they definitely gonna start hustling. They they definitely. Now I got a whole that's logistics like a issue. I call Detroit security. Yeah, I know. It's gonna you somebody. <laughs> Like turn that DJ off. It's like we going this way. You hustling the wrong way. Right, (laughs) right, right. Now you got Detroit police all in a bunch. Got the panties in a bunch. They gonna be hustling too. It's Detroit. 
Not on firework day. I bet you. You telling me my eyes don't cry no more in the Detroit? Is somebody that's on the station gonna be like? They want the they want the people gone. Like pick the money up. <laughs> or like play that Fox first News. play it first and then end out in Fox it. News would be like look at these black police officers dancing <laughs> <laughs> look at them go look at them go this is why you don't need them in blue <laughs> oh my goodness last question um, you can rename Woodward after one D trader who would it be and why Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the only person that come to mind is Charlie Beckham, and and okay. you know, because uh, I've gotten to know him over the last few years, and his story is one of triumph after mm-hmm. tragedy, and um, he represents to me a lot of people who go through um, having their life turned away from them, but they they um they held on you know what i mean not only held on but he triumphed after it you know what i mean so he's a a great example of you know going from you know riches to rags back to yeah yeah (laughs) he came from a wealthy family so he didn't he didn't he he wasn't he wasn't he didn't come from poverty so he doesn't have that story Mm -hmm. but he fell hard Mm -hmm. he fell really hard and um and got back up. True. True. Definitely. So he's in my head. Okay. Well, we'll go with that. And what's uh, your what's your what were story? What were sign? What? Um, street sign. <laughs> it was I know I'm interviewing I you. If you don't, I don't know if you know this guy, but like I usually always say, because Detroit is such a different place. You ever met uh, Jimmy Blackman Rutherford? That was. Um, I know well, the black man, I should say more so, not Rutherford, but the black man. He was the, I guess, a lot of people know him nationally as the hype man for Kid Rock originally. He, I think he just did a show not too long ago. But the black mm. man is such a, such a interesting guy. I think he 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 captures the essence of Detroit because it would have to be somebody that's just like, huh, you know, either him. Uh, who who are some of these other just like dynamic, interesting people? Um, I mean, Detroit. You meet so Detroit, many of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Detroit has like some some very dynamic, interesting people. Where it's just like you did all of that in one lifetime. Yeah, like, it's some like Miss Jane Pittman. Uh, You're Forrest absolutely Gump right. People I don't in know the how city they do Detroit. it. I just interviewed this lady, Annie Handy. Uh, you know, Detroit has a lot of Charlie Beckham. Um, you know, it, this is one of those few cities where a person could be like, yeah, man, we were sitting like like that Black Godfather story in Netflix. I'm mm. like, Detroit has iterations of that over and over and over again. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Clement Brown from. Yeah, Clement. Uh, from 313. From 13. You would uh, put him on the Whitworth sign? Nah, but he was telling a group of young <laughs> kids. Because, you know, he's not from here, but he was telling mm-hmm. a group of kids, like, you know, this is one of those few cities where y'all really don't recognize the the prowess of blackness here and the opportunities for blackness. Until because, you go away. Yeah, because he's like, you know, people own houses here. He was like, man, I'm from New York and I got family not in New York and Jersey. And you all take for granted because mm-hmm. this is one of those cities where, like, it can be five people in the room that may pull out $10,000 cash yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And some of them are working, some of them in the streets, some of them are little streets and working. It's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's Hustle the biggest 
evangelical movements here, the Nation of Islam, Motown, Broadside Press, you know, like one of the examples I said is Detroit's probably the only place where you could be like, I hate that neurosurgeon black guy and then find another black neurosurgeon. (laughs) You can't do that in other cities. Atlanta's sort of catching up, I say. Because yeah, we all moving down there. You know, it's a huge Detroit a population of, in it Atlanta. Is, it, it is. It is. It is so different here, the black experience. I you get asked that, que- that question of, you know, why do you still stay in Detroit? I used to get that a lot when I was in entertainment in New York and L.A. and Miami mm-hmm. and stuff. And I was like, it's really one of the only cities that I can go to to see people like myself who are doing amazing, inventive non-ordinary things like you know the the hustle thing is real in that and I hate when people say well I don't like the word hustle but it doesn't mean that you are you know playing craps on the street it means that you have a drive and thing in you that you're not gonna let anybody stop you whether you're a neurosurgeon or whether you are you know somebody on the street and so the you're absolutely right on home ownership and you know um people in prominent positions you know at one point black radio like it was like you know we had the most radio station variety of any city that had ever been to in the united states you can turn on a million different stations it was black 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 you know r&b hip-hop whatever and so when you leave and you come back you appreciate Detroit a whole lot more yeah, like, like if you're, you're traveling a lot and I used to see you know and they don't have they got one station or they got one freeway or they got one, yeah. you know one one lawyer that knows you know one, that kind of thing yes like even my, you know the premise for Detroit is different and I honor them all the time and RJ Watkins and what Henry Tyler are doing mm-hmm. but uh what Nat Morris and them did yeah uh, absolutely with the new dance show absolutely. and the scene like like that was rivaling like people the the premise of what Soul Train was, it was rivaled here in Detroit where more people were watching that, mm-hmm. and it built careers for people. Yeah, and along careers, with building notoriety. careers for people, mm-hmm. it was on the same stage of like as many ma- major artists would come by. Like, you know, I'm going to the new dance show. <laughs> like they, yeah. the same artists that would be on Soul Train would be on the new dance show. Like you don't get that in. We need it oh, again. Oh, the cities yeah. with black, like, like for real? You going to do another new dance show? I I would. I remember they tried to redo it one time. And they I did. I talked to RJ about it's it. It's different. You can't do it like it used to be. You got to let that I go. Mean, you got to recreate something It'd be different. like on TikTok or something. Like it's got to be kid kids. driven. Like, yeah. it's a whole different. We're in a whole different. World of dance. Just Yeah. It's got to be world of dance Detroit style. You know what I mean? Yep. So, I thought about it. It's a, it's a, it's a thing on my idea book. Um just I'm sure it would. It's in it, there. It could, it could happen. I just wonder how. You know. Cause well, it, now with the with the challenge of internet, you know what I mean. It's different than um, you know having a dance show where mm-hmm. that was the only place you saw it. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. You know. So that's the challenge. And I'm still surprised. Like when they said, like, yeah, you know, they just give people. I mean, the Soul Train too. They give people some chicken wings, and it's like, yeah, man, you want to be on there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they got to the point where they were having they got paid for being on TV from the union but that, that was about it <laughs> you got that right the black ingenuity and creativity I love it I love it that's part of the hustle part of the hustle Detroit is different Detroit is different thank you Detroit thank you Miss Nina thank you for having me I appreciate it yeah, um, I think this is my second or third time on You've been on the network before, first time on this show. First time on this show. Because you're usually on Piper's show, which Piper's show is is more more like it. um, 
it can be more art artist driven or political driven. It's definitely artist or political driven. Yeah, that's about yeah. it. <laughs> Detroit is different. It's way more like this person's Detroit story. You know, that's what I want to capture. A lot of Detroit stories. So, do we have a tagline like "I love Detroit"? Nah, not Detroit necessarily. is different. There we go. Thank you. Detroit is different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.